Today's scripture reading is going to be in Genesis chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 7, and the pages will be numbers 11 and 12. Um, if you're using your own Bible, it's going to be at the beginning and probably close to the same page. Um, so, verse 1, starting at verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you, make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And on all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that he had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah and Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is God's word. Good to be with you. Good to be back in the second week of this brand new really long series that we've started called Long Story Short. Um, and, and it's looking at the Bible, kind of an overview, hitting all the, the high points of the, the narrative of what we call the Bible. And it's interesting because on the one hand, the Bible tells one seamless story, but on the other hand, it is very unique in that it's not a book written by just one hand with a pen, but actually written in 66 different books by 40-something different authors over about 1,400 years in different places in, in the ancient Near Eastern section of the world, mostly, but some in Europe. It was written by all kinds of people, from fishermen to tax collectors and shepherds and kings and doctors, political prisoners, political advisors, uh, farmers, poets, the list could go on and on. It's not listed in chronological order exactly, but rather by categories and genres, and you'll have uh, things that are called law, and you'll have sections called history, and sections called poetry, and sections called prophecy, and you have sections of letters, and so forth. And amazingly, in all these different genres, over all this time, one seamless story emerges. And we believe that the Bible tells the most important story ever written, and that Jesus is the subject, and that your life, along with all creation, hangs in its balance. And we began this last week by talking about creation, and how God ordered it with boundaries and balance. And that's really what that Genesis 1 is describing for us. How God separated things and, and put them in, in contrast with one another. And, and everything was in balance. And everything was ordered and working as it was designed to work. Until humankind decided we might want to order it a different way. And you might say that chaos has ensued. That things are out of bounds and out of balance in many ways. And we suffer the consequences of that to this day. But it's our hope that God will make His creation new again. And so we come to this second week 
where we're definitely skipping some things and we're moving on to the middle of Genesis where we're touching on something we're calling the covenant where God makes a promise to a man named Abraham and just to kind of mention this we we are definitely hitting high points as we go through this we are not covering everything in the Bible not even close and so if you would be interested in doing kind of a, a reading plan uh, on the weeks when you can or whatever the case may be you've got an insert in your bulletin I'm gonna try and email these out each week as well that gives you a five-day reading plan that between this week and next week you can kind of fill in the gap this will take you the reading today will take you up to the Exodus which is what we'll talk about next week and so that's what these uh, these reading plans are for. So if you um, you know have a Bible at home or you have a Bible, you can get one for free on online or in an app, and and just follow along with this reading plan, and it kind of will help maybe fill in some gaps for you on some of the things that we won't have time to cover on Sunday mornings. But today we come to this thing called covenant, and covenant is not a word that's used maybe very often in our culture today outside of religious circles we operate in a world of contracts right we make we sign contracts for all kinds of stuff from your house to your cell phone to your cable company you sign up on a two-year contract you get a break on the price so we sign the contract and the contract we means that that legally they have to do something and you have to do something, right? Both parties have to do something in order to fulfill the contract. And if one party breaks their end of the contract, that deal's over, supposedly. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to work. The closest thing that we might come to something like a covenant, or that we would call a covenant, would be a marriage covenant, where two people enter into solemn vows making solemn and sacred promises in front of witnesses that they are committing to do something. Unfortunately, a lot of us in our world today and in our culture in general, we treat it kind of like just another contract. You need to fulfill your end of the deal and I'll fulfill my end of the deal. But if I feel like you're not fulfilling your end of the deal, then the deal's off. Just a, another contract that we signed. Have you ever used the words, maybe as a child, cross my heart and hope to die? Maybe you even took it to the stick a needle in my eye. Woo! Uh, did any of you have parents that taught you not to say things like that? I don't know. You're <laughs> not supposed to swear and stuff like that, but cross my heart and hope to die. Now when you say that, that means you mean it, right? Because as a kid, you totally know what that means. <laughs> and, and, and you are just trying to get the point across that, no, I promise you, I'm going to do this. Or I promise you, this is true. Cross my heart, hope to die. And then there's the lovely George Strait song, I cross my heart. <laughs> and promise you to make all your dreams come true? Come on, George. It's like he's a genie in a bottle or something. <laughs> I 
Where did that saying, cross my heart, come from? What are you, what are you really saying when you say, cross my heart and hope to die? I mean, the second part of that phrase tells you what you're saying. If I don't follow through on what I promised, or if I'm wrong, then God strike me dead. Right? That's what you're saying. And that comes a little bit closer to what a covenant is. Today we're going to talk about a unique covenant made between, originally, God and one ordinary guy. And eventually between God and his descendants as the covenant was enlarged. And we read amazingly about this promise that God made to Abraham. He told him before his name was changed to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the beginning. This is the kind of the first promise, if you will, a covenant between God and Abraham. God said all these things he was going to do for Abraham. He wanted a partnership with Abraham. To what end? To bless him, yes, but ultimately that all people on earth would be blessed through him. What we're talking about this week, in contrast to what we talked about last week at creation and how God's good and ordered creation is out of order, this is the beginning of the rescue plan, the redemption plan. God choosing to work through human beings, even ordinary human beings, to make right what we made wrong in the first place. This is kind of the first part of our main point today is that God partners with us, with ordinary people, to make right what we made wrong. I mean, He could have wiped us all out. He could have hit a reset button. He could have only given us what we deserved. He could have just let us self-destruct. But instead, He chose to partner with us, flaws and all. To make right what we made wrong. And that's what this moment is. When he comes to Abraham and says, I've got a plan for you. I want you to leave everything that you've ever known. Step out in faith in me. And I'm going to bless you and through you, everybody on this planet. What a remarkable promise. And Abraham, we're told... Believe the Lord. And God credited it to him as righteousness. He believed enough to pick up everything he had and leave for a place he had never seen. This was not in a day where you could Google the place that you were thinking about going. Where you could look up crime statistics, rain patterns. 
determine whether it would be a good place to locate. He just stepped out on faith. And he went. But it's interesting, we come to a spot just a couple chapters later in Genesis 15, where Abraham comes to God and he says, Okay, God, you said you were going to do all this stuff. Uh, could you give me something? <laughs> Sorry about that. Could you give me something? Uh, something dive bombed me. Something that would kind of confirm this for me. Because it's, it's been a while now. I still don't even have a descendant at all. So how are you going to bless all the people through me? Now you can call this doubt if you like. And I don't think anyone that has faith uh, is completely devoid of doubt. That faith and doubt, they go hand in hand in a sense. But this was also more than that, I think. I mean, clearly Abraham believed God enough to uproot everything and go and follow him. But in Abraham's world, lords and subjects often made covenants together. Call them kings and subjects. Masters and their servants. There would be a, a covenant made of what the master or the king would do and what the people would do. And they would make this, these solemn vows with one another. And so we know from reading history about a thing called cutting a covenant. When people made covenants, it wasn't just like signing a contract, which, you know, they didn't have a lot of paper. They couldn't just print up a contract and, you know, grab the ink pen and sign it. And it was more serious than that to them. And so what they did is blood was involved in a symbolic gesture of how serious they were about this covenant that they were entering into. And so when Abraham comes to God and says, how do I know? He seems to be asking for some kind of covenant, some kind of agreement. Uh, before this, they've kind of had a, a handshake on it, if you will. My word is my bond kind of a deal. But in Abraham's world, you know, probably he as a, as a, a head of a, you know, he had wealth and he had servants. He had subjects that followed him around into the wilderness. It's not like it was just him and Sarah hitting the road. Uh, they, had, they had a community that he was in charge of. And likely, he had made such covenants with his people. So he comes to God and he says, can we have some kind of a covenant here, you and me? Because I, I don't, I'm not seeing this happening and I just, I want to be, you know, I want, I want this to be serious. I want it to be for real. So can we, can we take this up a notch? And so God says to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Exactly what you would ask for, right? <laughs> you were wanting to do business or, or uh, make a contract or buy a house, you know, bring me a cow. <laughs> uh, different world and a different time. And notice, he doesn't have to instruct Abraham on what to do with it. Like I say, Abraham knew about this. This was something common in his culture. Probably he had done this himself as a lord over some subjects. And now his lord said to him, bring these things. And so Abraham prepared them. He cut them in two. And he arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. 
Now, this is pretty weird. I mean, he just brought three animals and a couple birds, cut the animals in half, and laid them across from each other in, in the wilderness, wherever they were. And then he waited on God so they could make their covenant. And it's interesting because it says, Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So apparently he waited a while, long enough for birds to find out that, hey, there's dead stuff, and it's, and it's rotting enough that we could eat it. Because apparently I learned that this week, that they can't just eat it like a fresh carcass. They've got to wait for it to, you know, get yummy. Uh, so they can, so they can uh, you know, get their beaks around it and that kind of thing. So, so there, some time had passed, and Abraham's sitting there waiting on God, and he's beating these birds off. And then when God shows up, he causes a deep sleep to fall. This is the same kind of language communicated about Adam when he causes Adam to fall asleep so that he can create woman. And a darkness came over him and he has this vision, this dream, said when the sun had set and a darkness had fallen, he witnessed a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appear and pass between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Cut a covenant is the literal term. Circumcision, if you're familiar with it, was originally a covenant. Cutting a covenant. See, covenants back then involved blood. And they signify something. You know, circumcision signified if you don't hold up your end of the deal, then you're saying, cut off my descendants. This is an interesting week, all right? Just bear with me. <laughs> In this case, what is he saying? If I don't hold up my promises to you, Abraham, may I be torn and killed as these animals have been. He passed between, through the blood. And it's remarkable, they say, because usually in a, in a covenant between a superior and an inferior between a lord and his subjects. It would be either both parties or just the subjects that would be walking through these slain animals. And so how interesting that God passes through and doesn't make Abraham pass through. Very unusual. It's as though God was saying, I cross my heart and hope to die. That's how serious I am about what I'm going to do for you and about this covenant that I'm making with you to bless all nations through you. We know, and we will see in great clarity in the weeks to come, that Abraham's descendants did not demonstrate the kind of faith that Abraham did. Abraham himself was flawed, but at least he kept the faith. 
But generations would come that would spurn the God of their ancestors, that would refuse to partner with him, that would chase after other gods in his place. And they would suffer the consequences for it. But even in the midst of that, there became a promise of a new covenant. A new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah is most famous for, let's just say negativity, <laughs> of, of telling the people what was coming if they refused to repent, which they continually did. But he also offered hope and what he declared from the Lord, that the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And he goes on to describe how this new covenant will be different from the first. And how instead of writing the law on tablets, he would write his law on people's hearts. And how you'd no longer have to say, oh, get to know the Lord, because all of his people would know him intimately. A, a new covenant in which sin would be forgiven and forgotten once and for all. This is what Jeremiah described in chapter 31. Fast forward to an upper room. Jesus and his disciples sharing a meal they called Passover. We call it the Last Supper. And Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And what came after this? We know that Jesus' actual blood was poured out Jesus represents both the fulfillment of the Old Covenant and the beginning of the New Covenant. You see, once the curse sanction, the, the curse section of, of a covenant was fulfilled, then the covenant was done. In that day, if you have a covenant, the covenant is broken and the curse fulfilled, then that covenant is finished. Like a contract running out. The time is up at that point. And so the first thing that we can say about what Jesus did on the cross when he shed his blood and his body was torn is he fulfilled the curse portion of that covenant made 2,000 years prior to Abraham. The old covenant was finished, had been executed in full. And at Calvary, a terrible darkness fell once again. And once again, God passed between the halves of the sacrifice, only this time it wouldn't be symbolic. But it would be God incarnate in flesh, torn. 
The second thing that Jesus did by his death on the cross was establish a new covenant. He was the sacrifice needed to start something new. They didn't need animals on that day or birds. His own blood poured out for you and me, established something new. And in it, in this new covenant, as we'll talk about it in weeks to come, he, be, he begins something brand new, writing his law in our hearts, knowing us in an intimate way, forgiving sins, remembering them no more. Here's the amazing thing. Not only does God partner with us to make right what we made wrong, but this new covenant that Jesus makes brings about new creation. In a sense, what Jesus did is kind of like hitting a reset button on God's relationship with us. Changes it fundamentally. And not only that, but it's kind of like hitting a reset button on creation. And right now, He wants to begin that work of new creation in us and through us. To make right what we made wrong. In a way that the first covenant could never quite do. You know, in another sense, Jesus is also that fulfillment of the ultimate promise to Abraham that He would bless all nations through His descendants because Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. And through Jesus, the hope of new creation reaches out to every single person. Hmm. So what I want to challenge you with today, if you've entered the new covenant, if you've placed your hope in Jesus, how are you partnering with Him? Are you working with God to make right what has gone so wrong? Are you bringing about new creation? And there's at least two fundamental ways that we do this. And that He does this in us. He does it in us, right? In your personal life. In who you are. He, he starts making you a new creation. Now the ultimate Christian hope is that we will be completely made a new creation when Jesus returns. Physically, spiritually, whole nine yards. But that physical body that we hope for, that will be immortal and glorious and so different from these bodies that we're in now. That hope pales in comparison to the hope of what we need most, which is to be recreated from the inside out. To have our, what's messed up in our hearts and in our minds and our ways of thinking and, and feeling and, and being need to be transformed, don't they? They need to be made back into what God intended them to be because, boy, I mean, if you've ever tried to be a moral person, you know that's an uphill battle. To try and make yourself do what you doesn't, you know, what doesn't come naturally to your mind and to your heart. 
when you feel like, man, I want this so badly, but God says no, and so you're trying to make yourself avoid this, that is an uphill battle, isn't it? And what God wants to do is change our hearts and change our minds so that that doesn't look attractive anymore. And that we want and desire the things that He desires, the way that He designed us to be, so that we can truly be the human beings that He created us to be. And so new creation begins in you through His Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Christ and begin to believe things that He said were true about Himself, about creation, about you and about me. And the second thing, the second way that new creation comes about through this new covenant is through us. Not only in us, but through us. This is something we have to be purposeful about, yes. We have to be mindful and outwardly focused. But truth be told, if the work done within us is truly changing how we think and how we feel. We will change the world around us because we'll live in a different way, won't we? And we'll have different thoughts and attitudes towards others as well as we are made new on the inside. So I want to invite you into a new covenant. A covenant that you don't need to be Jewish to be a part of. You can be anybody. You can be anybody and enter into this covenant that Jesus made by his blood on the cross so that all who believe, all who believe, do you believe the story that Jesus said was true? Then enter into this covenant be made new. Be part of the process that brings new creation into the world. The Bible tells the most important story ever written, and Jesus is the subject. And your life, along with all creation, hangs in its balance. I want you to think about for a moment that last supper. This is my blood poured out for you. This is my body broken for you. In Christ, God said once again, not just to Abraham, but to you and to me. I cross my heart. I hope to die. What kind of God does that? What kind of God cares so much for you and for me and for all of his creation? That he would do the thing that originated that saying why do we cross our heart because of the cross he's our promise maker 
our covenant maker, and he can be trusted. Would you trust him today and be made new? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to partner with you in making things right. Thank you for doing everything that we could never do on our own. We admit our tendency to cling to our old life or even an old covenant mindset, as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But Holy Spirit, we long for you to create something new in us and even something new through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.